in this episode of Howard's Blend. We're doing a double flip on a property. So I took one client's money and I basically doubled it. I already have the house pre-sold. One of the obstacles I had was the circle that I had. And when you're young, who's your circle? People you went to school with, relatives, and I don't say family, I say relatives. I mean, there's a difference. Be very active, utilize social media for its intended purpose. Network, 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 and listen. I had the honor of interviewing Mr. Hussein Abdullah, owner and CEO of H.A. Homes. Now, Hussein has a plethora of knowledge on topics such as property investment and property management. Now, we cover a wide array of topics during this interview. Some examples are Hussein describes the H.A. Home business model. He also goes into detail on objections and struggles that he's faced. And then he provides advice for new entrepreneurs. Now, if you want to reach out to Hussein and or you're interested in H.A. Homes, please visit them online. Their website is www.hahomesus.com. That's H-A-H-O-M-E-S-U-S dot com. Hussein is also on social media. Instagram, it's at H.A. Homes U.S. And also on YouTube, H.A. Homes U.S. And I'll provide links to all of those in the description of the show. I greatly appreciate Hussein taking time out of his busy day to come on the Howard's Blend podcast. I learned a great deal during the interview, had a great time, and I know you will too. Hussein, thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for having me, Howard. I really appreciate the love. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to jump right into it, get the interview started. So from the research that I did prior to the interview, the H.A. Homes business model looks like it's basically three legs, which is microloan investing, property management, and property restoration. So could you go into detail on each of those? And if I'm missing any um, ways that you, uh, a business model for your business? Sure. First off, a microloan kind of works like a hedge fund for everyday people. So if you don't know what a hedge fund is, a hedge fund is where a collective of people invest a significant amount of money, but not so significant based on the investment. So for example, if there's a hundred million dollar building, let's say we're talking about Manhattan or a hundred million dollar development, you'll get 10 or 15 or 20 people that'll put in 500,000, a million, whatever it is, they'll put in their buying and collectively they'll make that investment and then they'll all do profit sharing. So HA Homes, we do that on a micro scale where you can invest a thousand, two thousand, three thousand. And then let's say we go and buy a $40,000 property and then you, you get your cut of that money. So that's how micro loans work. We, we negotiate the terms and it's a tiered system. So the more money you invest, the bigger your return is. And your return is guaranteed. Whether we make money or lose money, you're going to get your guaranteed return. And it also works like a CD, like a certificate of deposit. And we crush bank rates. 
that's our goal. We always do at least double or triple whatever a bank is going to do. So banks can't compete with our rates. So after you have that piece, the next piece we do is we do property management. So we do fix and flips, we do rehabs, but we also have clients who just come in and say, you know, we heard about you, we like your work, and we manage the property. We make sure it's clean, we make sure it has good tenants, we make sure it's up to code, any repairs, we handle that. We do renovations, that's your flip. And then the other thing we do is we do like joint ventures, or we do, again, investments on a larger scale, where if somebody came to me at $50,000, let's say, what would you do with my money? We sit down and we structure a plan for that person. So right now, I just put out a YouTube video last night, and I think how we shared, we talked about it a little bit, or you saw it a little bit behind the scenes. We're doing a double flip on a property. So I took one client's money, and I basically doubled it. I already have the house pre-sold. So he put in 50, and I already have it sold for 100. All we gotta do is complete the project, and he doubles his money in about 90 days. Oh, very nice. So when you discuss the microloan investing, I guess that's really good for people who are, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is risk averse. So, you know, they either they don't have a lot of money or they're afraid they're going to lose their money. And so now if they're only investing only a thousand dollars, then I could see then it's also a way for the people to get their feet wet. I could see it as well into investing if they're very apprehensive, like, oh, I heard that. Uh, was it real estate is. Uh, it's real risky, or whatever. Well, then now it's a good way to get them into um, get them into the business. So, okay, all right. Well, that explains your business business model there. So, um, based on an interview you did previously, did your business start in around two four two thousand fourteen, or when when did it start? Right, I, I personally started investing in real estate. My first investment property was in two thousand and five. And then I say I started doing real estate the right way around 2014. So what ended up happening was I owned properties myself, right? Hussein Abdullah, so HA, HA Homes. It was not that creative. So literally it was the homes that I owned. Because I started to acquire more pieces, I was told, you know, you're putting yourself in harm's way by not protecting your assets and the liability. So I just moved them over to deed transfers and then I moved those over. So HA Homes officially started as an LLC in 2016, but I started growing my my range as far as investing in 2014. So that's that's where you get both of those numbers from. Okay, okay, got it now. Um, so why did you decide? I guess back in 2005 when you got your first property and started growing it from there. Why did you decide on? property, investing in property, property management, instead of taking another route? Was it always, did you always have that in mind or did something happen where you wanted to go into that line of business? Well, I had a family friend and a mentor at the time who inherited a lump sum of money and then he started to invest. And a little bit prior, maybe a couple of years prior to that, I was in Minneapolis, I was in the Midwest and I saw people making money on their homes. Being from New York, nobody really ever owned their home. Everybody lived in an apartment. Mm -hmm. So I was never able to really get a hands-on perspective of what that looked like. So Minnesota kind of changed my changed my perspective. And I also was just by fate handed the book Rich Dad Poor Dad when I was 18. 
Great book. Great book. It's like the best, right? Robert Kiyosaki. So I read that book and then I started to apply the strategies. The first thing I did outside of that book after reading that book when I was 18 was I actually opened up a CD because they mentioned it. And I was like, well, what's a CD? And at that time, I was getting like 8% back in the good old days. But um, so that that's how it kind of started. So I started figuring out like passive income and multiple revenue streams at about 18. And okay. I bought my property at 19. But my first investment property was at uh, age 23. Wow. Get started early. That's the way to do it. You know, the earlier, yeah. the better. You get more time to build up your uh, little nest egg there. Um, okay. So from a previous interview, when I saw on your YouTube channel, you mentioned uh, your real estate deal that was about $30,000 for the property. Was that the one back in 2005? You said you had to go around and, like ask people to get money. Was that the one that you were referencing? That's correct. So what ended up happening was, again, I love Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I come back to New York and I'm like, I need to get my hands on some more books. So I bought two books, The Millionaire Mind and OPM, Other People's Money, which is a book in Robert Kiyosaki's line. He didn't write it, but he has a line of books called The Rich Dad Series. So I bought those two books. And then OPM, Other People's Money, it basically tells you that you shouldn't let a deal go. You have to find a way. And if you don't have the money, you got to get somebody else's money and you got to find a benefit. So the opportunity that I had was to get a 50-50 deal on a property that was $70,000. And at the time, I only had $2,500 in my bank account ready to go liquid. So basically, I structured the deal where I told my partner at the time, listen, if you give me a year, I'll give you the 30000 I need to get in the game, and up front, I'll pay all the closing costs. But you got to let me get half my rent right now. Because he wanted to structure it like the more I give him, the more rent I got. So like every month, I would raise my rent take home like three bucks. And it didn't make any sense to me. So what I did was I paid my entry fee. That's what the book called it. I paid my entry fee. So for another $1,500, I was able to take home $400 a month from the beginning of the deal. And then what I did to get out of the debt hole that I had with him was I had great credit and I had good money, whatever it was at the time. I took out multiple credit cards and I took all the zero balance transfers and I wrote them all checks. Hmm. And then okay. I got here to pay it off. And then I like shifted money around and I used a student loan to pay everything off. So I paid zero debt, zero interest. Wow. Okay. So I'm trying to follow along there. So could could you go over that one more time? I just want to make sure I'm, I'm understanding that correct. I, I apologize, but uh, I, I try to follow along there. I'm not the most savvy with real estate. So go over that again. I want to make sure I understand it. Right. So, so I'll break it down slowly. So we have a $70,000 property. Okay. That means I have to put up 35000 to get half the rent. The rent was $900. Okay. 2500 My partner had the whole seventy. He didn't need me. So I said, what can I do to get into this deal? Closing cost was about $3,000. It's like a transfer tax, you know, prorated tax at the end of the year. It's $3,000. So I would have had to pay $1,500 of that. Okay. So I told him, look, not only am I going to give you all your money within a year, I'll take that $3,000 bill on all by myself. Okay. The closing costs by yourself. So I paid the closing costs up front. And it was ended up being like $3,800, something like that. So it cost me an additional $1,900, so an additional $2,000. And 
And then I was able to get all my rent from day one. Okay. And I think I'm following so now, ma'am. How I financed it was I took six credit cards. And I ended up with, at the time, like $45,000 worth of credit cards. And I took mm-hmm. balance transfers. Sometimes you get, some people don't have this, so because their credit might not be good. But for people with good credit, you get, I get every day in the mail, $100,000, $50,000, $200,000, zero interest, 18 months. And I don't take them because I don't need them at that point. But at that time, I did take them. I maxed them all out. And okay. I wrote to myself and I paid him off. And then when the maturity date started to come, I, I was in school. I was going to school to be a math teacher. So what ended up happening was my education was paid for. And for people okay. who go to school, you don't pay interest. Or you don't have to pay back your loan until six months after you graduate. So my school was paid for by the city of New York. I was in a hard to staff position. So the feds were going to pay for that. But then I took a $20,000 student loan. I paid that all off. And then I broke up the money. And it took me about 18 months, two years. But after that, basically, I paid everything off, zero interest, out of pocket. I probably only paid actually 15000 in that deal because the wow. feds paid. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Now, thank you for explaining that again. Okay. I understand it a lot better now. So, okay, I want to moving on here to the next point is the what objections did you face on your when you were just starting out? You're the first deal, you know, the first few deals because you know you're asking people to invest, but yet your feet aren't really wet, you know, yet. So, what well, what objections did you face? Okay, so when I started doing my crowdfunding, we'll call it for lack of a better term, I had already gotten into that property. I bought my partner out and then I bought another property. I benefited from a transaction that took place after Hurricane Sandy in New York. So I bought a property cash, 50,000. I sold the first co-op. I sold it for like 85. I took 50 and I bought a condo for 50 cash, but the condo was worth 200,000. Wow. Okay. (laughs) But a bank wouldn't touch it because it was in a flood zone because it just got hit by Sandy. Yeah. But the good thing about the property was FEMA came in and put everything up to code. So I knew I had a legit house. A bank wouldn't touch it. And the finances were all messed up in the condo. So nobody would lend to them. So I was able to do another deal. I sold that and bought three condos in Texas. Once I did that, people started to see the moves. And then I said, you know what? I have something here. Let me see if I can get people to finance what I'm doing. And I can give them a bigger cut of the money. One of the obstacles I had was the circle that I had. And when you're young, who is your circle? People you went to school with, relatives. And I don't say family. I say relatives. I mean, there's a difference, right? Relatives are just people that you are related to by blood. And maybe people you go to work with or something like a sports team. That's your circle, right? And even social media is at that point your circle. So the people that were around me really didn't have a business sense as far as real estate was concerned. They really didn't have a lot of funds and they really didn't have belief that I was doing what I was saying I was doing because it was almost too good to be true. You know, when people are making forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, you tell them, look, I just made $150,000. They're like, no, you're, not. you're exaggerating. You're inflating the number. You're doing this and that. So it was kind of hard. The first investors in my company were actually people I did not know. Wow. Okay. So, th- yeah, I could see where 
when you mention that you're making all that money, that the first thing comes to mind is like skeptical. He's got to be doing something illegal or so those people that you don't know, well, how did you get them? There were referrals because I did have some good people in my circle. So friends who didn't have money, who were supporters were able to say, I wish I could get in. How can I, how can I be a part of this? And I'm like, if you can't invest financially, like spread the word. And then I do have good people around me. So people had faith in them. Based on their referral, they said, you know what? I'll give you a chance. A thousand here, three thousand there, two thousand here. And then I had my other rent roll coming in. So I didn't have an office. I didn't have any of that stuff. I didn't have social media. It was just word of mouth. And then as things started to snowball, I started to put things together. But really, it was just having a good reputation. So if you're going to do business, your name has to be gold. It, it, it has to be as good as your last deal. You, people have to have faith with you. I have some clients that give me $500,000 to invest for them. Wow. Like, I have to I have to make sure that their investments are solid, that they don't have too many problems with tenants, and that I'm a stand-up guy. Because I wouldn't give somebody $10 that I didn't trust, let yeah. alone 1000 or something like that. Uh, so basically, your reputation is a selling point then because people, when they come to you, they know, okay, I'm going to get – I'm not going to get ripped off. You know, I'm going to lose my money. Okay. And one quick – since you mentioned it, what did you do about your circle, You know, the, the people you went to school with, the people you're related to, not family, but you're related to, and then people you worked with or the people that were your struggle and bringing you down, what did you do about them? Did you cut them out of your life or did you audit the relationship or – Well, for the most part, attrition just happened naturally. So when you're doing something, let's say you play sports. Let's say you're a basketball player. Most of your friends are probably going to play basketball. It's just yeah. what happens. So as I started doing more and more investments, I started meeting more realtors. I started meeting more brokers. I had to start working with property managers. So I started to learn the game, and then I started to be around more business people. So just naturally, my circle changed. And then a conversation that I might have entertained two years prior, I, I wouldn't have time for. And it was no love loss. Like, I have a bunch of people that, like, let's say I grew up with that I don't necessarily have time for to do the old things we used to do. Like, oh, we should just go hang out and do this. And I'm like, no, nah, I'm not really going to go hang out because that's not benefiting either one of us. We're grown. You know, I'm almost 40. I don't have time to just go sit somewhere and hang out. We could talk about family and business. And then, like, where we're on vacation, we can hang out. But if we're both not hanging out the same way, like, it, it, it doesn't make sense. So the circle naturally changed. And then friends of friends and friends of friends. So now I would say eight out of the ten people I speak to on a daily basis have a business or are trying to start a business. Or they just want to learn how to invest in real estate. So everybody's okay. positive. Everybody's positive. I like that point, you know, the attrition. So the you just start hanging out with different people and then slowly they just start dropping off. And think you know, about I, think about how we met, right? Social media. Yep. We both had a need and it worked out. And who knows where our relationship goes from it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean you're teaching me about investing, so I didn't know as much as I do. I mean, I know more now than I did when the interview started. Um, but I also want to point out like you talk about uh you know, you still meet up with your friends and you talk about family and business and such. And I remember my uh, I had a buddy of mine who would um, 
you know, we would do the partying thing and stuff. And after a while, he would just say, what's the point? What's the point of going out and party? You're not like what you said. It's not benefiting either one of us. You just end up spending money, but you're not getting any money back. You know, it's it's not benefiting you. So I like that. It's a great point that you brought up there. So um, I guess a, one another point I want to bring up is you mentioned that your circle was a struggle. Um, what were some other top struggles that you have starting out? And then now, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you were gathering up the property and then eventually you had people telling you, hey, you know, you need protection. You need to create an LLC, you know, so then your personal wealth is not affected, just the, the company's wealth, if I understand LLCs correctly. But I want it for people out there, I want to go into more, like, what were your top struggles uh, other than the ones that you mentioned already, just so people got an idea of what you had to deal with? Well, when you start out a new business, I, I'm, I'm speaking from my perspective back then. What I know now is totally different, but I had to get in the game to learn this. And this, what I'm not going to share is what I would share as a consultant, right? But what I will share is what it was when I started out. When I first started out, remember, my first deal was a cash deal. My second deal was a cash deal. My third, fourth, and fifth were all cash deals. And what I know about return on investment is the less money you put in, if it's a good investment, the more profit you make based on your investment. So I'll give you some quick numbers. I'll explain this. Okay. So if we're buying a $100,000 property, right? And you buy it at $100,000 cash. Let's say you're making $1,000 rent. That's 12000 a year. It would take 85 or 100 months to get back your investment, right? Or eight and a half years. That means you're right around 12%. That's a solid okay. investment. That's, that's not a bad investment. Solid investment. It's 10%, you're at 12% a year. You're doing all right. That's a good investment. If we were to go to a bank, when you invest on investment property under four units, it's still considered residential. You have to put down 20%. So we put down $20,000. The rent roll is still the same $1,000. we are going to finance 80 with a bank at probably around 6%. So our mortgage is probably going to be something like uh, 580. So you say, all right, we'll take off 600. You're still making that extra $400. So now $1,000 rent, okay. So now you're making 4800 a year. So 4800 we can just round it up to 5000 for conversation's sake. 5000 off of 20 is a 25% return. Okay. Yeah. Okay, I got you. Four years. So I, I kind of knew that, but as a new business, I didn't know what banks to call. Now I know what banks to call. I have clients who start an LLC on Monday. I have them at the bank on Tuesday with certain loan programs, certain banks I work with that will finance them instantly. Okay. So the two or three years with the tax returns and now I get lines of credit. I get, you know, two or three K loans. I get all that now, but it took me years to build it up. You don't have to have that. Yeah. Because so one of the hard things was getting financed, and that's why I tried to crowdfund because I tapped out. I, I made, like I said, 120000 profit off my first flip, right, because I had um, my, my broker's fees, some other things. So I tapped out, but I was like, there's still these great opportunities out here. I could just show people that my profits they would see. So funding was tough. Getting people to buy in was tough. 
and finding good property management was tough. Okay. How, how was that difficult? Was it just people weren't dependable or, or what, what was difficult about that, the property management? There's a few things. One of the first property managers, well, I only dealt with one property manager in Killeen, Texas, in Central Texas. I won't put their name out there. I'm not that type of person. Understood. But how I felt, I would, my rent was $800 and, and I would take home, you know, 720 because they take 10%. So I'm waiting for my 720 every month. And then I noticed 500, 400, 260, 400. And I'm like, what, what, what is going on here? Oh, this broke. Oh, that broke. Oh, this broke. I'm like, well, are you going to tell me when something breaks? Like, maybe I have a guy. Or maybe I want to know because maybe that money's allocated somewhere. Yeah. Oh, oh, you know, that's just how we handle it. Okay. Do you have receipts? Oh, we could get you some. So wait a minute. You're working with a vendor that doesn't give you receipts? Or is he like your uncle or your cousin or your friend? Is something even really broken? And I ended up fixing something two or three months in a row. So for me, as a skeptic, it didn't make sense to me. And what I also know about other property managers are working in Detroit, working in uh, Philadelphia, New York, New Jersey, uh, Florida, Texas. I, I have properties all over that I work with clients on. And what I noticed is People sometimes, if you're absentee, like I was, they don't care about your property. You'll go, the grass will be two feet tall, the tenants oh, will wow. be apart because they know you're never going to see the property. So because you're not there, you know, they're still taking their money, but it's like, ah, oh, he's not going to show up, so we don't have to do the work. Oh, wow, that's unbelievable. Exactly. So people were tearing up properties, and that's why one of the things I do I always send before and afters. I always send them the invoice and I get discounts and I make this fully transparent. I don't make a penny off of any vendor I get you. If a vendor negotiates a 20% discount because I have volume, I pass that 20% right along to you because that's the benefit of working with me. I want my vendors to eat. I don't want my vendors to cut themselves out. I don't want my clients to cut themselves out. I want everybody to have as much money as possible. And I do a lot of pre-diagnostic work because we don't want to, you know, fix something retro. We want to get to it beforehand. We want to be proactive, not reactive. So it's yes, just those, those types of things. Okay. Okay. Everything. Trust is everything. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that, especially when you're, again, you're handling people's money and sometimes it's a lot of money. I mean, you know, you mess up a deal and then that's your reputation there. I mean, so yeah, you have to be on them because even if it's not your fault, you're still handling the money, so it's coming back to you. You know, so it's right. uh, okay. So uh, I also want to want you, if you can, discuss, like, describe the process for, let's say, John Doe reaches out to you and says, "Hey, I want to, I want to have a consultation. I want to invest in a property with you." What's kind of the the process to go from when they contact you to when they sign a contract? Can you go into that just so people have an idea? Absolutely. So if I got a call Monday and John calls and says, hi, I saw your video. I heard it. H how can we get started? The first thing I'll do is say, are you in a place where we're local? We can sit down and have a face to face conversation. A lot of time face to face is different because people don't necessarily want to divulge certain things on a phone or in text. That's totally fine. Now, let's say John can't get to me face to face. All right, John, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be nosy. Are you comfortable with sharing your finances? your bank business. Like, I don't need your bank statements. 
I need your bank account numbers. I just need to know what you have in the bank. Do you have a pension? Do you have something we can lean on? Do you have equity in your house? What do you have? And then once we find out what you have to work with, we find out what you're comfortable with. Because you might have 100000 That doesn't mean you want to play, play with 100000 You might only want to rest 10 maybe 5 maybe 2 So we figure out what you're comfortable with. And once you figure out what you're comfortable with, then I can pitch you any one of our programs. You say, I have $5,000. i will say, all right, well, you have the safe microloan, guaranteed fixed rate. No, no questions asked. You can get paid monthly, quarterly, annually, or like a CD at the end, and you get all your money back and the maturity. Or you feel like being a little bit more risky. I'm working on XYZ projects. If you put in 5000 that's 8% of the project. I'm going to guarantee you a rate of no less than 2%, but no higher than 15%. So it's a variable. So if rent's coming in, you're going to max out. If the tenant doesn't pay that month, the least you get is 2% because nobody doesn't make money with AK Home. Nobody doesn't make money. Everybody makes money because now if you're losing, then what happens? This is perception because sometimes two or three things might break. A tenant might move out. There's, there's transition. Four or five months goes by, you don't get paid. You feel a little funny. So I foot the bill. My company has a reserve where we foot the bill. You are guaranteed a return no matter what type of loan you have. Or, or what type of investment you do with us. And then on the bigger end, let's say you have thirty or 40000 I say, well, how do you feel about flipping? Do you want to rent long-term or do you want to be somebody who's making high-risk moves? And then I counsel them through that. Consultation is totally free. But once you start to work and I start connecting you with people, realtors, brokers, inspectors, and that kind of thing, I have my consultation fee. My consultation fee to start is $500. And it's money well spent every time. First conversation, I usually save people $5,000. And how long are those consultations, just depending on what they want to do, or is it does it vary, or is there yeah, a set time? Usually, it's 45 to an hour. Okay. Because it, let's say you don't have many assets, or you're young, or you're just starting out, or you just you only have a few thousand dollars. There's not really much to talk about. If you have $3,000, there's only so much I could do with $3,000. Yeah. And what I find with people who have funds, like they might have a quarter million, and, and by, I don't want it to sound like I'm dealing with billionaires. So we have somebody in New York, let's say. They sell their house. They have 500 equity. They're going to buy something in Florida. So they're sitting on 300000 They don't want to waste it. I take that money and I show them how to diversify it, spread it out, buy something new like that. So they already kind of know what's going on. People who have lump sums of money, it's usually about that conversation. So the conversations usually don't take too long. And then once we start a consultation, the consultation throughout the duration could take anywhere from two hours to 10 hours, depending on what our consultation is. Okay. So if I understand right, they, the people with the money, they kind of already know what they want to do. They're just looking for guidance uh, right. on exactly what to do. So clients who have medical situations or lawsuits and like, I'm coming into $500,000, I'm coming into $200,000. i have never had this kind of money. What do I do? Okay. And then we figure it out. And, and and sometimes I refer people with that kind of money or that type of situation. I don't want your $200,000. If you've come into a lump sum for the first time, I'm not trying to take two hundred. I'm going to tell you, listen, you need to call this investment banker. You need to open up this type of account. You need to put this much in your nest egg personally. We need to set up the LLC. And I give you the whole diversification. I give you the game plan. And then I set you up with the professionals. Okay. Including tax people in different states that I work in, 
because I'm not a licensed CPA. I'm not a realtor. I'm not a broker. I'm just a consultant. And I said, so for lawyers, anybody who's licensed, because I don't want to give you misinformation. So you're acting kind of like a, as the liaison between the, the person and, and the professionals, the ones who have actually have the, uh, uh, the experience in that particular field. So um, basically the process, I'm understanding it, you know, they come to you and you assess what their assets are you know, in terms of, you know, like you said, pension, property they own, how much money they have in the bank, whatever they're making from job or jobs. And then based on that, you learn, okay, what is their risk tolerance? And then once you have that, then you know, okay, this this particular investment fits what you what your risk tolerance is and how much money you have available, I guess, liquid. Okay. So that that makes that makes sense. So now kind of more of a general question. So for anybody starting their own business, and doesn't have to necessarily be property investment, it can be starting a clothing line or whatever. What suggestions as a CEO and a business owner do you have for those people wanting to start out? Make a lot of friends. Be very active. Utilize social media for its intended purpose. Network, 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 and listen. You have to ask a lot of questions when you start up. And don't be afraid to spend money. I have alternate businesses. And when I first started out, I always used the pre-sale method. One of the first businesses I had was a t-shirt line that I kind of just fell into. And then it became a graphic design company. And then we started doing printing and all kinds of other things. So that's what I got. Everything I have is custom made. Like it's all, everything we do because I've gotten into that world. So I, I know the behind the scenes of it to so that sort of thing. So I know how easy it is to get certain things done. With that being said, I was on a shoestring budget. So I was afraid to spend money. But what I learned now doing real estate is by spending money, things come so much faster. You know, it's like a DIY project. You know what I mean? Like, I could make that shelf myself. And then it costs you $300 to make a $60 shelf in two weeks because you got to buy the tools, paint it, let it dry. Then you, you know, you're not a professional, so you make little mistakes. Or, or you might not have an efficient strategy on how to assemble whatever it is you're doing. So I would say... Make a budget for yourself to seek some sort of guidance. Vet the guidance. Vet the guidance. Don't just pay anybody. But do your research. Go to social media because even like podcasting, like I see you have a, a beautiful mic there. My assumption is you didn't just Google mics and pick any one. You did research. What's the best for podcasting? What's what for the value? And then you find a happy medium. You always have to do research first. Put in a research. That's my number one tip to any new business owner. And call me. I have, I'll answer those questions for new business owners free of charge. I love talking to new business people. I love it. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I, I've, I've heard it before. I love it. You know, you got to spend money to make money. So there's a, a point at which and speaking to you exactly like, you know, with the shirts, you know, now you're using your previous experience with the shirt and the graphic design and now your new venture. So. I agree completely. Like you know, network, learn new people, you know, meet new people, and then leverage that to you know take move yourself forward. So okay, um, kind of the, the wrapping up here. So what are some of the short and long term goals that you have for HA Homes? Short term, it's just day to day. I recently re retired again as a public school math teacher with the City of New York. So I was used to a steady income. 
I just was, all I was doing was getting my, my check and then just growing my base. So I was living very comfortably. I feel comfortable now, but you know, you take that kind of hit. It's like losing a big client. So short term is just day to day. What can I do to not waste this 24 hours? And long term, I really don't have such a wide trajectory. I keep it very, I keep it very short. Because every day there's something new. Like, again, you and I spoke not even a week ago. Right now we're doing something. And who knows how this goes off? What type of tangent? Who you connect with? Who I connect with? What we're able to do? So I never put a ceiling on anything. But every time I do a project, my next goal is just to go one notch higher. So, again, yesterday we closed on a double property. So that's the first time I flip two properties at the same location at the same time. So for me, I'm like, that's a goal. My next goal is to buy my own double-digit unit, meaning 10 units or more. And I, I'm not going to work. I'm waiting for a deal to come through on 16 units. All I get is the call, and I close. So once I get 16, what's the next goal? 25? My first commercial? So I just take baby steps, and I have fun with it. My my advice to be, or my personal belief is, don't shoot out too far. Like I'm not thinking about a five year goal. Okay. Okay. The president could change. That could change rules and laws and governance. There's so many things that could change. I never thought in my life I'd ever live in Texas. Ne- never thought. I I'd never seen how it would come on up. Now nothing's off the table. I love it out here. I, I'm in shorts. It's it's almost November. <laughs> Yeah, I was in a t-shirt and when I went running this morning, so I hear you. It's almost uh, getting close to November. So, um, okay, so yeah, I, I can see your point on that, not looking out too far because that kind of leaves you more uh, malleable, more adaptable. It's like, okay, well, I'm going for this. Well, now I know that really may not be the best way to go. You can kind of change your strategy, like you said, day to day. You can change right. it day to day. Okay. All right, and, and how long have you been in Texas? Business. You said you, you retired, so… Yeah, for yeah, I just retired September thirteenth. Wow. Okay, and that you, that was you were a math teacher in New York, so you were living in New York, and right. then so you had did you have you had the two residences in New York and in Texas for a time? Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So what ended up happening was as you know, school teachers, kids are always out in New York. We get like every holiday in the world, so I would <laughs> and and I would come out for three days, or we'd have like a midwinter recess for ten days. I come out for six days, so I was here every month. Okay. So it's really, and then, you know, you get like eight weeks in the summer. So I was here all the time. And then as I got here, I put my team together. So I had eyes out here. I had my crew, my handyman, my contractors, my vendors. So for me, in my profession and with my work ethic, it was very easy for me to maintain it short term. But it wouldn't have been sustainable because something would have had to give. Business started to grow so fast that I had to pick and choose one. Or I would have had to be comfortable with a very slow, you know, maturation period. And for me, it didn't make sense because the money was too easy to make. You know, if you take the economy of New York and you compare it to a place like Texas, if look, we're looking at a two-bedroom condominium in New York in Brooklyn, six hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars. To talk, we're talking two or three hundred thousand dollars. But a down payment, wow. Where where you could take twenty thousand dollars and come out here and buy a house and flip it or, or buy and hold and now you have something that's bringing you a few hundred a month you have a free car that's the logic you know so you could do major things with with the transition from a place like new york to a place like texas now from texas to new york 
maybe be a lot harder. Yeah. But that's why I was, that's one of the reasons I was able to find success with that transition. Okay. So by leaving, by leaving the job, the math teacher now, uh, I guess the economic term is the opportunity cost. Instead of using that time being the teacher, you now have that much more time to invest in the business. And it's also logistical because you said that a lot of your contractors and it were in Texas. So now instead of either coming here on a plane or talking over the phone, now you're here and you can personally, uh, I guess, uh, supervise or oversee it. You have more face-to-face com- uh, contact with them. Okay. Exactly. And, and that's why anybody who's followed my channel and everybody who's going to listen to this, look at the pace. In Texas, when I was on the East Coast, you look at my pace, you'll see I did a lot of work in Philadelphia because I was there. Now I'm here. So you're going to see a lot more work going on right now. If you if you tune into the hour, you saw yesterday I started the flip. These guys are calling. We already put it in the bathroom. This is already done. The first house is already almost done. It's going to be done in a week. Wow. And then I have the second house. Remember, I already have it sold. I have a duplex I'm looking at. I'll probably be closing that in another two weeks. So we're out here because I'm out here. I'll be in New York next week. So when I go to New York, I'm looking at property in Camden, New Jersey. I have stuff to look at in Philly. Right now, or this morning, as we talk, I have an open house going on in Philadelphia. So I have partners everywhere. People want me to go to South Carolina like because property flipping out there is big. So I'll go wherever I can, and that's why I had to let go education. It, it, it tied me down. The nine to five tied me down. Yeah, no, I understand, understand. Um, all right, I have that's pretty much what I have when I wanted to focus on today. Is there anything that you wanted to add um, in addition to what we went over? No, I just want to say thank you so much, I man. I, I, I wish you much success, and I appreciate you. And you had some really captivating questions, and you were very professional how you handled everything. And you know, I'm going to share this until I can't share it anymore. I'm looking forward to seeing your success. And and if you're interested in real estate or something like that, I'd love to work with you. I mean, absolutely. I'll come to you, come to me, whatever we got to do. We'll go get some good barbecue. I'm always looking for good barbecue. If you, that's what I'm looking for when I'm in Texas. That's, I'm a foodie. That's mostly Austin, I think, is where they have the really good barbecue there. I haven't been to Austin in a while, but uh, yeah, absolutely. I know uh, I definitely want to have you back on the show because I want to see your progress, like what's going on, what's new. But I definitely next time I want to go down there and interview you face to face. I I really prefer the face to face interview. I think the interaction and the, the chemistry, I guess, is better. But uh, yeah, absolutely. We will keep in touch, sir. And, and thank you for doing this interview. I really appreciate your time and everything. All right. Thank you, man. Look forward to talking to you again. You have a good day. Yes, sir. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of Howard's Blend. And a big thanks again to Mr. Hussein Abdullah for coming on the show. Now, if you want to reach out to Hussein and or get information on H.A. Homes, the website is www.hahomesus.com. Again, H-A-H-O-M-E-S-U-S dot com. You can also check out their social media. Instagram, it's at H-A-Homes-U-S. And that's the same for YouTube as well. And again, links are all going to be in the description of the show. Now, if you did enjoy the show and you found value in it, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. 
If Apple Podcasts isn't your thing, the show is also available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Google Play. And if you did enjoy the show and you did find value in it, I ask that you tell at least one friend. The word of mouth is vital to spread the word on this show. Also, I have signed up for the 2020 Spartan Super, which is an 8 to 10 mile race that takes place outside of San Antonio, Texas. The date is March 14th, 2020. Now, I have created a team, Howard's Blend. So if you sign up for the race and you put in that team name, then myself and anybody else who joins, we're all going to have the same start time and we can help each other out. So if you live in San Antonio and or you're going to be in San Antonio on that day and you want to do the Spartan race, join Team Howard's Blend and we'll all crush those obstacles together. Now with that said, thanks again for listening and go contact Hussein.